This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. Sister, go ahead, stick it in the lock socket. I'll tell you it was a stupid idea when you wake up. Hello, hey, uh, hello, hey, true, true crime can't. You, uh, you okay? Yeah, again with the true crime can't stuff. Just call me. How about true crime? Just true crime? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sh- sure. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, hey, true crime. Just, I just wanted to catch up. Wanted to see how you're doing. I got a few hours to kill. I don't, look, I don't know, man. I have stuff I gotta do. My wife's on my ass about repairing these holes in the drywall. It's a mess. I think this is gonna be tougher than the repair work hands I gotta do to Elena, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, you're referring to Carl kids. I, I mean, uh, no. No, I, I don't know. Who, uh, who's that? We can't get into that today, Op. I've, I gotta get off here and, and I gotta get great, off here and... Great, great, great. Hold on a minute here. Let, let me just, uh, let me just get comfortable. Nothing. Um, <clears throat> Recording has initiated. There's there's that noise I heard last time we talked. What is that? What? Oh, I'm just brushing my hair. You're probably just hearing, you know, the static from the brush. That's all. Yeah, it, but it sounds like a computer saying recording has... No, no, a computer didn't say anything about that being initiated. So, hey, uh... Let, let, let's hear about Carl Tanzler. Did you already tell me that to you? I never even told you his first name, though. I, I thought you hadn't heard of him. <laughs> Just lucky guess, I guess. I'm, yeah, I'm good with names and remembering names that I don't know or, you know, never heard of. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so you want to hear about Tanzler and his unhealthy obsession with bringing the dead back to life, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Carl, Carl Tanzler, probably related to Carly Simon, right? Uh, they are of no relation, op. Not, not that I'm aware of. No. All right. Well, one, one down, one to strike two. Okay. All right. The hell with it. Let's do this. So, Op, have you ever had a what's 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 the furthest you would go for uh, a girl in your in your life that you loved dearly? Oh, I probably the, like the ultimate love, the ultimate love of a girl. Like for a, for you, Op, what what point does does the love end? Is it at is it at death? No, it's probably second base, somewhere on second base, I guess. You second. know, that's about as far as I'll go <laughs> with the girl. Well, we're getting ready to learn about a man that that the love never ends, Ew. even after even after decomposition has set in. Even after third base, third base involves decomposition for you. Well, I don't know what's left after third base. If you if the if they're already decompositioning, then you've got you know you just basically go to the dugout with them. Okay. So Carl Tanzler, now you're going to learn. First off, we need to get this out of the way up. This fellow went by a lot of names. Uh, he was listed as George Carl Tanzler on his German marriage certificate. Uh, he was listed as Carl Tanzler von Kossel on his United States citizenship papers. And he was listed as Carl Tanzler on his Florida death certificate. Some of his hospital records were signed Count Carl Tanzler von Kossel. So this guy, this guy had more names 
than than somebody that has a lot of names. And and I'm sure you can come up with somebody right now who who had a lot of names. Oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, do baby books have a lot of names? Eminem, Slim Shady, Marshall Mathers. Um, I don't know those people. I didn't figure you did. He was born in a Jewish family as Carl Tanzler or George Carl Tanzler on February 8th, 1877 in uh, Dresden, Germany in a little family townhouse. Now, this guy was a little bit spoiled. He he grew up in Imperial Germany. Uh, not long after he was born, they moved him to a big castle out in the middle of nowhere, and they called it Villa Kossel, uh, and it was out in the countryside in Saxony. So, like, Jewish um, saxophones? No, saxophones weren't involved in this guy's upbringing that I'm uh, I'm aware of. Mainly just a, a, a huge organ, which we'll get into later. Like like John Bobbitt. But uh, his his mother told like, wait, what? Oh no, not that kind of organ. This is a this is a different no different organ. This story, the entire story, does not involve a penis. Wow, um, one whole story without a penis. Jeez, Louise, I don't even know what to do with my hands. Right now. Yeah. Oh, Carl does. Give him a minute. Hot Carl. That's what I'm going to call him, the whole story. Hot Carl. It's a crappy name. Uh, he, he was pretty spoiled. Grew up in a... It was, they call it a castle. Now, there are no pictures of this, but one can only assume it was a castle because they were referring to it as a castle. Well, you know, also and the his name, m- Villa Castle, I believe that translates to house castle. So, real creative on the namers part and naming it that. Good job. Dum dums, is that is that true or is that? No, oh, yeah, Villa Castle would that... be House Castle. <laughs> he was born. He he grew up in a house castle. Okay, uh, and his and his mother told him as he was growing up that it was haunted by the white woman. I got a question about that. Mother told him he was it was haunted by the white woman. Yes, they were Jewish. They were Jewish. Are you white when you're Jewish? Is I don't uh, know. Hold on. I'm going to have to. Because here's a all, question. I, not all Jews are white. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good point. I think I'm, most of them are. Right, I think, right? That's the funny thing, right? Like, if you watch World War II films or anything like that, I mean, those, yeah, or any anybody that's Jewish that I know, I mean, mainly they look white to me. They are all, uh, I've never, have you ever seen a black Jew? Well, probably, like in a Quentin Tarantino film or something, maybe, but. But no, I mean, the weird thing about that is too, like they they're pretty much white people, right? But you got this whole club that like seems to not like them and they're, you know, all about like white power. Seems weird. That is true. I hadn't thought of that a keen observation up. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So a white woman. Okay. Haunted by a white woman. Yeah, haunted by the white woman who who uh like I said isn't Nancy Grace. Because uh, whenever I think of the white woman may I may or Nancy may not Grace. be a Jew. Herself is Nancy Grace a Jew? Well, just Guinness. I was just saying the white woman may or may not be a Jew herself, because you know, if we're, if we're sticking to our n- newfound observation that their Jew- Jewish people are, you know, often white, white, all all white. Yeah, could be haunted For, by a just white. So Jewish we don't woman. offend anybody. Just so we don't offend anybody, we're going to go ahead and say that all Jews, every single one of them, are white. Okay, I don't know how that's going to play off but we're gonna go with it so uh this white woman was supposedly hot carl's uh ancestor the countess castle they called her and she had died in 1765 
Uh, and it's a long, boring story. Her background is a lot of a lot of political mumbo jumbo, queens and kings, and being exiled, yada yada yada. So she haunts this castle that he lives in. Now it is worth noting that there is absolutely zero backing to support his claims that he was uh, related to any kind of royalty whatsoever. So this is all we're just going off his words. Yeah. Okay. So this uh, this ghost is haunting the castle that he grew up in, uh, and poor little hot Carl is just trying to grow up and, uh, and avoid this ghost. It's just walking around being hot, and it's so hard. At twelve years old, he has a vision, and he has this vision of a of a beautiful girl in a white dress reclining in what they call a rococo settee. And uh, you probably don't know what a rococo settee is, and I might not even be pronouncing that right, but it's one of those ugly. Ugly uh, couches that you uh, would imagine Michael Jackson had thirty of them in, in in Neverland Ranch in the Neverland Ranch house. Oh, okay. You know what I'm talking about? They had the the ornate wood legs, really ornate, kind of daddy saddle. Yeah, they look extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, like a saddle that he'd like Michael Jackson would wear on his back. You know, tied to kids to ride on, but really ornate. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, but with... I, I don't know my Rococo uh, period furniture all that well, so it's probably a variation on the theme of the daddy saddle that Michael Jackson used, I would guess. They all look like furniture that you... It looks like furniture that furniture that you would find at uh, or like a Louisiana flea market. Okay. Uh, because the, the only people that would buy this stuff now is really rich southern people. All right, that like waterlogged furniture. No, that's not what I was getting at. But um, imagine like a, a howling wolf painting as a piece of furniture okay. with wood legs. Wow. Uh, so uh, he, he, he had this vision of – Hot Carl had this vision of – at 12 years old, this vision of this beautiful girl in a white dress reclining in one of those Rococo settees, and he painted it. Now – as far as he concerned, this is just this was a vision. He had a, a, an image in his head and he painted it. I think that this is just one of those cases of, hey, I would like to paint this. I remember one time I pictured, I envisioned in my mind's eye Slash from Guns N' Roses, right? Yeah. And I painted him. Mm. But that doesn't mean that you had a vision. That doesn't mean that down the road, 25 years, I'm going to be going down on Slash. I hope not. That's not what that means at all. Well... I don't know if Slash has a daddy saddle or not. Now that you mention it, he was pretty awesome. So he, in his in his little hot Carl brain, he thought ah, this is a vision. This lady that I've envisioned here. Uh, so he grew up, little hot Carl. He was interested in electricity, chemical experiments, planes, astronomy, and the sciences. He was real nerdy mm. in high school. When he got into high, now he was an intelligent student, according to him. Obviously, uh, up until America, up until him landing in America, we don't have any secondary sources, right? It's all off Carl's word. But in high school, he claims he built a a glider plane and uh, tested it from a hill in the park where all the chicks promptly laughed at him. (laughs) And everybody made fun of him and they were like... Is there any part of Carl's story where he says he could throw a football over those mountains? This isn't... Well, it just seems like, I mean, everything that's like... If he gets a word in his head, like he makes a part of his history. It just is in his head. It just is. Like, that's just... Yeah. I owned an aluminum factory made out of microphones and 
I invented the laptop. Like whatever he's looking at. Down the road, down the road, his claims aren't that far-fetched from what you just did. Okay. Well, that's that's comforting to know we're going into Weirdville. Oh, yeah. Things get things are going to get strange. But he did it. He built this glider plane, and all the chicks that were watching this nerd fly this plane, this little plane from the top of a hill, they didn't get that wop. If you know what I mean, they didn't. No. They didn't get, they didn't get them all Cardi B whopped out. Is that a Jewish uh, term? WAP? I think WAP, in today's terms, stands for um, wet around the pelvis. Okay. Oh, gosh. I was thinking of like a... No, it wasn't a racial slur. Uh, okay. All right. Man, you know, it's just a side side note on that. That is such an offensive word, you know, before Cardi B made a song about it. That you would think that somebody would have told Cardi B, uh, nah, we can't, nah, we can't call it that. Can't call it that. That's like her using the N-word to make up a song, thinking she made up the word N, you know, the N-word. And she's like, I'm going to call it. And they're like, oh, no, you can't say that. What was WAP a, a racial slur for? An Italian or other Southern European. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a, it's a. Okay, okay. It's spelled differently, but when you say it on the podcast, I mean, you know, like when you just say it on the phone talking to your friend and no one else is listening, then <laughs> just it's you can't tell the spelling is all. All right. So racial slur aside, racial slur aside, he's throwing his little planes at the park, probably trying to get some female attention. You know, everybody, all the other all the other guys and all the other German guys in the park are high stepping and and. uh and, and flexing their muscles, and then you got little hot Carl up on top of the hill throwing his his toy planes, and and, and the ladies just, they just didn't get it, you know. Yeah, they don't understand that they want the guy that rides the big wheel one wheel bike down the road. Yeah, but what they don't know is everyone is going to work for the guy that's throwing the planes off the hill. You know, absolutely true. That this is absolutely true. Yeah. So uh, so our little plane thrower, he, he makes it to college, according to him. Okay. And uh, According to him. He's not interested in girls or social activities, only science. Yeah, not that there's anything wrong with that. Is this uh, striking a chord? Well, he's not interested in girls. Love is love. He, he's not interested in... Love is love, man. And gir- Well, but he wasn't interested in boys either. Oh, okay. All right, all right. He wasn't interested in boys either. Weird. What is that, asexual? Asexual. Asexual. Yeah, like a lamp. Okay. Um, wow. So all, all he cared about was science. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. He was just a square. I don't know if you've seen the Sandlot. Uh, he's a square, Benny. The kid's a square. So let me get this straight. So if you don't smoke or you don't drink, you're, you're a square. <sighs> Not you, Op. Uh, we, we all love you. But in college, I bet you got down to college. This is college. This is supposed to be like the peak of his... Of his sexual prowess, you know he's supposed to be uh, wooing the ladies with his tuxedo suits and and Mozart renditions. I don't know what people wooed ladies with in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Well, if he's anything like me in college, I, he probably had a four foot by four foot square of linoleum uh, to do break dancing on. Just portable, throw it down. No. Oh. Oh, 
So his mom pretty much let him do whatever he wanted with the manor, with the Casa Castle. She gave him free reign, so he basically turned it into a into a giant laboratory for all his little science projects. And he also once recruited her to to build him a, a hot air balloon along with a needlewoman, and it took them three months to sew it together with Japanese silk. So whenever I say this boy was spoiled, he was... I don't know how much Japanese silk costs, but to make two hot air balloons out of it, to have enough to make two hot air balloons out of it, I imagine that's uh, that's pretty pricey. He, he made his mom build this? Like, hey, mom, build me a hot air balloon? His mom and a needlewoman took him three months to sew it together. Wow. Yeah. Now, he, he claimed that by the age of 24, he had nine degrees. He had degrees in medicine, philosophy, mathematics, physics, chemistry, and a few other things. Uh, but that's probably, as you can imagine, bullshit. But you could do that in the, in the early 1900s. You could just say something, and it was. Yeah. It just, that's the way it was, right? Yeah. Like college, I just told people I could break dance, and they saw the four foot by four foot linoleum, and they were like, "You're the guy carrying the linoleum." Yeah. Yep. Like, well, he's got the linoleum. That guy doesn't have any drugs or drinks. He he's got the linoleum. Guess he breaks dances. Yep. So now it's around this age, college age. He was uh, visited. He had he had one on one contact for the first time with uh, our our legendary white woman. He was in his lab one night doing his little nerd experiments, and she just started trashing his place. That's not nice. She like she destroyed his equipment. She but she never she never materialized in a in a in a form that was visible to the eyes. So she trashes his place, and you'll learn now and and later that the way Hot Carl handles ghosts is extremely nonchalant for somebody with a sign with supposedly a, a scientific mind. He always always is just like, "Well, that was odd." And then he goes to sleep. <laughs> or I guess it would be more like, "Well, that was odd." Well, oh, that was weird. Well, that was odd. <laughs> <laughs> so much goofy is happening in this place, yeah. Yeah. And it it, it turns that and, and in the midst of all this destruction, that's going on. She's trashing this place. He he yells, quote, If this is by any chance the spirit of the Countess Anna who perpetuates all of this, please give me a prompt answer. What is the idea of this destruction? Why don't you tell me in a more civil way? Oh. Well, she didn't answer. I don't understand accents very well, but I'm sure you said something that was really profound. So three nights, but three nights later at 2 a.m. in the morning... He wakes up and he discovers two ghost ladies standing beside his bed, and they're just staring at him. Now, he, one of them is standing closer to him, and it's the Countess Castle that we have previously mentioned, the white lady. But he can also see a second ghost standing behind her, but he can't see her face. Now, the Countess Castle, she she leans in and she says, quote, I've been trying to attract your attention, my boy, but you wouldn't take note. You were too much engrossed in your experiments. That's why I had to use some violence. Look here, Carl. I have brought you the bride whom someday you will meet. And then, according to Carl, the the Countess Castle, she steps aside and lets him get a good look at his his hot, dead lady from from toe to head. And uh, this is supposed to be his future wife. She has long black hair and a beautiful face. And then they both just kind of screw off. 
and vanish. Carl says, well, I'll be damned, and he goes back to sleep. Well, I'll be damned. He had a bad accent. But, you know, if uh, Super Lady Ghost that I was supposed to marry with long black hair showed up, a ghost lady showed up at the side of my bed, you know what I would say to her? I can only imagine. Please. I'd say boobies. You would, you would suck on those ectoplasm boobies. No way. That would be like third base or more. I would just say the word boobies. You would just say boobies. Because she's a ghost. Boobies. Has that really got the ladies' engines of running in the past? Just boobies. If they weren't climbing the hill trying to grab my glider, then saying boobies to them did it. Just to ghosts. Real ladies don't really respond as well. So, about this time, Carl, so not long after his, not long after his, uh, his run-in with the white lady, Carl decides he needs to see the world. He's a bachelor, and he wants to go on a world tour. Now, he claims he went from continent to continent all over the world. Uh, this is something he does for several years, but once while tra- briefly while traveling in Genoa, Italy. I believe it's Genoa. G- is it Genoa? Genoa, it- yeah, it's also a, si- a type of uh, sliced meat product. Genoa? Oh, is that the uh, is that the, the the health food that everybody's eating now? That's like rice. No, that would be um, quinoa. Quinoa. Yeah, quinoa, not genoa. Genoa is a sliced meat product similar to like a sausage or a or a salami. So he was in Genoa, Italy, not to be confused with. He wasn't on a giant sliced meat product. Okay. Uh, this was actually this was a location in Italy. All right. And it's here that Tanzer claimed to have uh, been visited for a uh, second time by his dead purported ancestor, the Countess Castle or the White Lady. So she's apparently traveling with him now. He's apparently creeping around in this graveyard there in Italy, uh, this of this place that he doesn't know. He's never been here, so why he's checking out the graveyard is be, is beyond me. But he stops at a grave that has this beautiful marble statue. He looks down and says, sees that the young lady that he's admiring here in statue form is was 22 years old when she died, and her name was Elena, which is going to be important later. Any relation to Elena Bobbitt? Lur, you, no, that was Lorena Bobbitt. Oh, so they're not related. Now, they very well could be. Uh, most people... Uh, Relation passes down through first names. Yeah, yeah. So, so that hence the question. That's a that's a yeah. good possibility. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll find out later in the story, probably. So while he's sti- so while he's standing there admiring the statue of this beautiful lady, a spirit steps out and it looks at him and he's like, "Oh, it's the the Countess Castle, the the one that he woke up to standing beside his bed and the one that destroyed his lab earlier in his life." Carl says, good morning, milady. Not shocked at all. For the third time. Yeah. Seeing a ghost in his life. Not not surprised at all that this that this lady just stepped out of the the spirit just stepped out of this the statue. And she just kind of walks off. Pretty standard for spirits to do that. Your standard ghost sighting. Yeah. She just kind of walks off and he loses her in, in the sea of mourners that are there at the graveyard. He tries to keep up, but as we have uh, already detailed, he's nerdy. He's probably got bird legs. And Hot Carl just can't keep up with the ghost through all these mourners in the in the graveyard. Yeah, there. he probably left his glider at home, had no real fast mode of transportation. Didn't have one of the big wheel bikes like the cool guys. 
Now, he was devastated. So in 1901, Carl settles down in Sydney, Australia, and starts working as a civil electrical engineer and x-ray expert for the Australian government, which is absolutely amazing considering he doesn't have a degree. It's unlikely he has a degree in any of those things. That seems really uh, hazardous. So that's pretty impressive. You know. Uh, what What but- aspect? Those two, you mean those yeah, job civil fields? electrical engineer and an x-ray expert? Like, if you're going to fake something, fake something that's relatively safe, you know? Maybe don't say, yeah, yeah don't say, I, I can deep sea weld. Like, come on. Someone's going to figure it out when you, like, you know, electrocute the ocean. <laughs> when you get out there and you can't deep sea weld? You're, like, down there in your coral and, yeah. you know, you're in your diving bell and you're like, now... Remind me, how do you turn this thing on? Where's the button? These are different than the ones I had in school. This is not the... Is this a standard welder? Ah, seems seems so weird. So different from the ones I'm used to. Weird. I, I kind of feel like I could probably figure out an x-ray. Yeah, well, I'd figure it out, but I couldn't guarantee that I wouldn't figure it out and turn a person into a burrito <laughs> so relocate their asshole to their throat on accident yeah yeah and i don't even know what a civil electrical engineer does and that mushy skin is probably gonna heal uh go ahead and just give it four to six weeks so he had a good salary he had an out house overlooking the ocean on darling point he had it all according to him he according according to hot carl he had it all yeah he claims he had boats he had hose. He didn't have hose. I just made that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> boats and hose. He didn't like uh, the hose. He, he what? Right. He didn't like the hose, and he didn't like the bros. He was a lamp. He, he he had his eye on one lady down the road. Yeah. Yeah. And he's always but she's a ghost. Anytime you read something from him, uh, be it his his journals. Any of that stuff, it, he he's very kind of braggadocious about his money. He 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 was very flashy with his with his hmm. money. It seems um, he he was really in the material. Like, do we shit. know if he had money or did he just say he had money? Now he definitely he definitely had money, but we, we just don't know. We don't really know where it came from. Yeah, maybe from the ghost lady. But he's always buying boats and and all that and all that extravagant stuff. And he claims he had these then, and maybe he did. But on March 7th, 1912, Carl is sitting in his dining room, and he's eating dinner. He's eating a delicious dinner of eggs, scrambled eggs, and bananas. Really? Did you just make that up, or did he... No, that that is what he was eating. He was eating dinner of scrambled eggs and bananas, and that just sounds to me like some somebody that is not doing well is eating for dinner. You know what that sounds like for dinner to me? It's not dinner. Like maybe uh, breakfast? Yeah. I guess one of those things. Scrambled eggs don't pair well with bananas, I find. Well, he's eating the exact same thing 25 years later in this story for for dinner one evening. So maybe it was just his thing. It just seems to me like a fraternity thing. Hey, boys, we're out of food. We have a fifth of whiskey, seven eggs, and an old banana. Looks like that's what's for dinner. That that's the that's what for a man that that has unlimited funding. This is just an odd meal. They get through the whiskey. They get through the scrambled eggs, and they're like, "Hey, Carl, where's that old banana?" And he's like, "Hmm, hot Carl, we know where you put that banana." But uh, he uh, he's sitting there eating eating dinner, 
So he's sitting there eating dinner. It's it's thundering outside. It's dark. Lightning. When the front door flies open, almost off the hinge, just slams. Carl looks up from his uh, delicious dinner of scrambled eggs and bananas and sees the outline of a beautiful woman in the doorway. But he can just see her outline because it's dark. He's probably eating by candlelight. And uh, he just kind of he kind of lets her come in. And it's a beautiful woman in a, in a white veil with long black hair. And Carl, Carl immediately recognizes that it's a ghost. This is a ghost. This is ghost experience number four for, for hot Carl. And he is taking it the way he is all the others just as so matter-of-factly. And it turns out it was the young ghost from his earlier experience uh, back, at, back at home whenever the the Countess Castle brought her friend and showed him the face of the lady that he would later marry. Hmm. So this is, in theory, the ghost of Elena, who hasn't been born yet from the future, to tell him that she wants to marry him from the future and the past. But she hasn't been born yet. Because she already fa- he already found her gravesite because he found the gravesite of a of a woman named Elena that was 22 years old when she died. Yeah. So uh, I hope you're I hope you're I hope you're keeping up with all of this. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it this is like one of those like mur- murder mysteries where when the pieces start falling into place, you're just like, "Wow. I can't believe I didn't see it." Well, that's not the best part. So so she has this white veil, long, beautiful black hair. This ghost lives with him for a week. Really? And she won't leave the house. She, he, he goes, he leaves, he goes to work, he comes home, she's still there, and she just follows him around the house and doesn't speak. She doesn't speak. And when he's sleeping, she just stands beside his bed, which to me personally is a little unnerving. Yeah, I'd say. I don't know how you would feel about a spirit just standing over you while you're trying to sleep. No. So I got to thinking, maybe, what if this was just a homeless lady and this was her gimmick? <laughs> yeah. <She> just, <laughs> you know, a little a little powder to the face and, and you, you got a ghost. It's raining. She doesn't want to be in the rain. I'm just going to crash this dude's house. And this homeless lady just lives with him for a week and Carl being the nut job that he is. It's a ghost. The ghost is back. And she's like, ooh, I'm a spooky ghost. But she's just a homeless lady. Yeah, it could be. And then she's like, even though she's homeless, she's like, man, that guy, he ate. He ate bananas and scrambled eggs together. I had to get out of there. Well, actually, after a week, she does bounce. The ghost bounces. Yeah, see? So even a ghost can't tolerate him. Yeah, he's weird. Now, we do find out later that the ghost's arrival and the ghost's departure uh, coincide with his father getting sick and the death of his father. Supposedly, when the ghost decides to leave the house is at the same moment that uh, the father, his father passes uh-huh. away. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm starting to see, yeah, yeah. So this is a bit of transference, maybe, we're talking about. Yeah. Now, a few days later, he gets put in the hospital because he has typhoid and malaria fever. And he's, he's, he's laid up there for three months. Now, uh, what is one of the side effects of malaria? Uh, let me, let me, I'm going to give you a guess at one, what one of the side effects of malaria is. One of the side effects of malaria is um, an attraction to scrambled eggs and bananas. Close. Close. Okay. You almost had it. It was actually hallucinations. Oh, well, kind of one in the same. <laughs> hallucinations. 
So we don't even know if this if this homeless lady or ghost was even a thing. He could have just been hallucinating for that week with malaria and typhoid fever. And he doesn't have any friends, so it's not like they're going to be around and be like, hey, have you seen Carl lately? Man, he's acting weird. He has no friends. None. Plus he has mosquito bites all over the place. Now, we're going to fast forward a little bit here. 1914, World War I breaks out. The Brits put Carl in an internment camp for Germans for his own safety. So he's in a concentration camp for a little bit. Why Why be, Why? be? Why was he in a concentration camp? Because he was uh, white? The armistice assigned... The, no, because he was German. Oh. But wasn't he Jewish? He was Jewish, but he was German first. So if you're... But if you're German and Jewish, do those cancel each other out in World War II? This is World War One, And then you're just white? This is World War One. Oh, this is World War One. Oh, okay. Totally different set of game rules. Okay. The concentration camp that, that Carl got to experience and the one that Anne Frank got to experience are probably two different uh, resorts. Yeah. So he probably legitimately got to concentrate a little in the camp. That's nice. He got to think a little bit about things. Yeah. Okay. Planes and ghosts and, yeah. Scrambled eggs. The armistice is signed in 1918, and all the German prisoners, that's what they were, were released. Is an armistice, is that like an armistice? Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Maybe it's a different word. The southern word armistice means an agreement between two fighting countries. Okay. To cease fire. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's what an armistice means up around here so yeah yeah tomato potato so southern armistice and alaskan armistice armistice means the same thing and in uh i think in italy it's armistice armistice that was that was an italian with a little sugar in his tank wop 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 oh boy uh 1920 comes along tanzler arrives home in germany where he discovers that uh only his mother and his sister remain his father's dead now, and uh, his older sister has gone and gotten married and moved to America. Now, while he's home in Germany here, he meets a lady named Doris Schaefer, and together they have two children, an Aisha Tanzler and a Clarista Tanzler, who uh, Clarista unfortunately died of diphtheria. Now, it is unfortunate. Is diphtheria like diphtheria? Diphtheria is an awful sickness where a little uncomfort starts in the back of your throat, and then it starts growing and getting thicker, and it's like, uh, like a like a, a a wet white scab that forms on the back of your throat, and eventually it cuts off your 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 airflow, and you succumb to the wet white throaty scab. Okay, yeah, that's very similar to diphtheria. Oh, you're you were making they may be different. I don't know, but now Carl's wife Doris. As well as their two children, he never mentions them once in his in his memoirs, his journals. That, that like they, the, they're completely irrelevant as far as he is concerned. There doesn't even exist a picture of Doris or their two children. Are we sure they existed? They did. That we could see their grave. Well, we can also see Elena's grave, so that's not you know much. So we just kind of throw into the story at this point. He gets married. He has two kids, and and then his mom starts begging him to go to America to be with his sister in Tampa, Florida, because she probably didn't want to deal with it. He's making science experiments. He's in his probably at this point his late twenties, early thirties. Anywhere but here. Get out of here, hot Carl. Have you ever been to Tampa? Oh, are you kidding me? I haven't. No, I've heard it. I've heard it's not good. I've heard nothing about Florida is good. I've heard some good things about Florida. They got Disney, 
they've got uh, alligators, Disney World, old people, Cardi B. Speaking of that, wah. I'm kind of glad she came up with that song because I feel like I can like use a swear word and not get in trouble for it. I feel <laughs> like it makes it more offensive if you really throw an emphasis on the P, too. You got to be like, speaking of that, wah. Yeah, that, that feels like a bitch slap. You know, like where you'd hit somebody from like the forehead to the jaw and really get their lip in there. You know, just... Yeah, their bottom lip almost gets torn off. Yeah, like a really sloppy bitch slap. That sounds a wop. Yeah, I like that. So Carl, uh, he takes his mom's advice and he and he kind of fucks off to Florida. Now, sometime, it's never clear. He never he never clarifies when his wife and and daughter come to. But in everything that I could find, I don't think it was at the same time. I, I believe she came later. So he lands in Key West, Florida on March 1st, 1926. Whenever he gets there, he's, he was going to go stay with his sister. He sent a telegram beforehand, uh, but apparently it never made it because she, she didn't show up to come and get him and bring him to her house. So he ended up, he ended up having to walk 12 miles on the railroad tracks, which it just kind of seems like everybody is trying to avoid this man at all costs. Yeah, I'd say so. So within the first year, he, he, he gets a little piece of land, starts building a house, Gets the foundation poured, and then the the boom hits, and uh, he doesn't go bankrupt. Actually, he isn't really even affected. But he decides instead to to move in behind the hospital, in a in a in a fake plane that he had built. Sounds all of that sounds like a a carrot top skit, but that actually happened. That he and you'd have to see pictures of this plane. It looks he called it his airship. It looks like a I, I can't even describe. It doesn't have wings. It looks like the plane that Amelia Earhart, Amelia Earnhardt, Earhart, Earhart, yeah, Earnhardt Jr., Amelia Earnhardt Jr. Yeah, she's related to Dale, the one that had the three on the side of her plane. Yep. Um, Never forget. Uh, <laughs> it looks like it looks like that without wings, but it's got these massive, and I'm talking like four foot tall wheels on it. And he called it his airship. That's really weird. Also, I'm figure. I think I've got it figured out on how Carl Tanzler recounted his life history. Uh, he did it like uh, you ever done those Mad Libs? Yes, where you insert words. Yeah, that's how he did. So, Carl, where did you go after that? Oh, I went to insert noun a hospital, and I lived in insert noun an airplane. Well, fortunately, everything that happens from here forward, we have records of. So this can all be verified. There are pictures of this terrible monstrosity? You can look at pictures of this monstrosity. Maybe I'll have to post those online. Do it right now as, we, as we're speaking. Top in Carl Tanzler Airship. I'm excited to watch your face react to this. Tanzler Airship. To this thing. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, right? What is that? That never would have got off the ground. No. There's no way. No. Wow, that is horrible. You can only fly that to to the bottom of a canyon. Yes. That is the, that is the only place that that thing's flying. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. On this picture, it says Elena's airship. Yeah, he changed it. That was its name later because he's a romantic. Okay. I see. Wow, that's weird. So he's living in that thing, and he's kind of living back and forth between that thing and inside the hospital. While he's working there at the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West, Florida, 
which is where he started working in 1920, 1927. He took a job there as a radiology technician, which he also was not. <laughs> Man. He started working there under the name Carl von Kossel. Okay. April 22nd, 1930. This is that, that fateful day, that day that would forever change Carl's pristine, perfect, perfect life that he had lived so far. He's, he's called down during a, a, routine, a routine blood draw. Okay, because as a radiology technician, that's uh, what often they do is blood draws. Yeah, yeah that's kind of what I thought as well. Yeah. So he walks in. He's kind of got his head down. He's not really paying attention. He, he kind of takes this girl's wrist. He puts the needle in to draw blood. She twitches. He looks up, and he sees her face for the first time. And who do you think it is? Uh, her face looks just like his airship. It's not the airship. No, that was a good. That was that was that would have been my first guess as well. But it was the ghost, the young the young ghost that lived with him for a week. Oh, the homeless lady uh, back in the day. Ah. So he finishes his job, leaves, goes down to his office, and he's just shook, bro. He's shook. Oh yeah, shook to the core. This is this is her. This is what everything's led up to. He looks. Through, he's looking through her paperwork though, and he sees that she's married. And he's like, "Oh, that's not my problem." <laughs> so let's get into uh, let's get into this young, this beautiful, this beautiful young Cuban lady. Her full name was Maria Elena Malagro de Hoyos. In Southern, her name is Maria Elena Malagro de, de Hoyos. Yeah. Okay. I like that better. But I like saying it with that twang, Maria Elena Malagro de Hoyos. And I feel like whenever I say it, I got to do this. You snap my fingers and do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like when she got into arguments, she's like, "Oh no, you didn't." I am yeah. Maria Malena Malaco de Hoyos. Yeah, and she probably had like you know? just lip liner on her lips, but no like yeah. lipstick, just lip liner, <laughs> right? Later, she doesn't even have any lips. But everybody calls her Elena. Now, forgive me if throughout this I slip up and say Lorena right. two or three times be- because we just spent. I don't know how many hours last week talking about Lorena Bobbitt. And this is Elena. Yeah, we spent exactly too many hours doing that. <laughs> Wasted all our time on those two big pieces of shit. But uh, now, Maria Elena Malago de Hoyas is born 1909 to a, to a poor family. They were Cuban immigrants who had came to America in 1912. But she was considered a local beauty in Key West. Now, if you look at pictures of her, she's like a... I guess the standards were different in the early 1900s, but she's she's like a Kentucky eight, okay, uh, but 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 an LA four. All right, so I'm picturing Kentucky eight. That is like not quite a breast, more like a wing, not extra crispy, just regular, but not chicken, not chicken. Like on, a, I'm talking about on a on a a sexist. Aesthetic oh. rating scale. Okay, I was going off the KFC menu. KFC number eight is a three-piece with a biscuit, coleslaw, large root beer. I'm 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 going specifically off of like sexist standards that we would oh. use in like the late '90s, early 2000s. Okay, I'm sorry. Totally took a wrong turn there. Hey, really quick, fun fact to know and share. Do you know what's really important about the 1909 year? I don't. What? What is it? 1909 was the first year that the Lincoln penny was produced. 
Is that the wheat the wheat penny? Well, yeah, it started out with the wheat penny on the back. Yeah, the wheat one. Yeah, before that it was. Uh, before that it was the um, the Indian head penny. I did not know that, Op, and now I know that, and now I can't unknow that. Yep, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Wop, 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 wop. Thank you. Thank you for that. You're welcome. So her her father was a tobacco, a cigar maker. He worked in a tobacco factory. She had uh, two sisters. Her mother was apparently a, a good-hearted, simple woman. So she was like a KFC biscuit. Robust. Robust. Stick to your ribs. Good. White. White. No hard edges. Pretty round and puffy. No, these were not white people. This was dark meat. This was like this was like thigh meat. Oh, God. So uh, Elena was married to L- Louise Mesa. And after a miscarriage, unfortunately, uh, he just kind of bounced off on her to Miami. Carl's is, obs- is is immediately obsessed with Elena. Hey, yeah. If your wife suffers a miscarriage and can't have kids, do you know what you have to use to have kids? What? Customer cervix. So Carl is immediately obsessed. He he takes her blood. He he tests because. It's part of his job for whatever reason. He takes her blood. They find out she has tuberculosis. Elena has tuberculosis. He kind of immediately attaches himself to Elena in a way. He overwhelms the family, and at first they think, oh, this is just a a good-hearted doctor. They don't have a lot of money, and he claims to have ways to fix her, right? Okay. So Elena's mother invites him to their home to treat her with what he says is, is ways that he knows to cure tuberculosis. Kind of like how he knows to build an airplane. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. His airplane mechanic skills. Or how he knows how to build dinner. Uh, yeah. With everything that he claims to know, his skills in tuberculosis treatment are the same. Yeah. Okay. So Carl tells Elena, he says, quote, Don't worry over it and don't worry about anything anymore. From now on, I am going to take care of you. And she's like, okay, hot Carl. <laughs> Now, I don't know why Mylena has a southern accent. I was going to say, well, she is sort of southern. I mean, just super southern. That's all. Uh, that's true. And, well, she was raised in Florida, so maybe she didn't even have a Cuban accent at all. So she would have been like, okay, okay, hot Carl. So Carl borrows a bunch of equipment from the hospital, and they pretty much just let it. He had free reign. They just let him take whatever he wanted. And then he also built a bunch of additional shit of his own to treat her with. Uh, occasionally, Carl would would take Elena to the airplane behind the hospital. <laughs> Naturally, and uh, he claimed that maybe one day they could sail to an island that he discovered while on a, on a fishing expedition. He claimed he owned a, owned a coconut island in the South Sea, and it was his because he saw it, and that's how that works. Carl's an idiot. He just saw it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it gets worse. Well, just you wait. Um. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> so he's uh, he's treating her not long after Carl starts treating her at her house. On top of the treatments that he's doing, he's showering her in gifts. Just dresses and jewelry and everything. And the family's like, this is kind of weird. This is a little weird. Uh, on one occasion, he brings her an engagement ring and a big bouquet of flowers, and that's on her 21st birthday. And Elena's kind of like, uh, well, thanks, hot Carl, but I'd just rather not die of tuberculosis first. 
She doesn't say that, but I imagine that's how she handled that. Like, uh, I just got bigger fish to fry. And also, didn't you say she was married? She was also married. Yes, yeah, still legally married. Ah, that seems like a little kind of to Louis. Yeah, hiccup there. So he's like, okay, okay. So then, uh, not long after that, he takes her to the plane, and inside the cockpit of the plane, he's like, so you want to marry me now? <laughs> and she's like, no. I mean, I, you know, I've still got the, <coughs> still got the tuberculosis. And everything. Not long after that, he kind of butts into her sister's wedding, and she's sitting there trying to enjoy her wedding. And he's like, "Nuvantu, maybe very, maybe you marry me now." And she's like, "Well, I mean, this is kind of inappropriate, Carl, but <coughs> we're at my sister's wedding, and unfortunately, I'm still dying of tuberculosis." She, he, he doesn't seem to get read the room very well. He doesn't give up. Yeah. If Carl is anything, it is it is persistent. Mm. A few of the gifts he 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 starts showering her with uh, pearl necklaces. He brings her a little radio, crystals, earrings, gold chains, and all kinds of letters that he ends with "my love." He also mentions in one of the letters that he would like to christen the plane with her. Uh. Uh, Elena, however, always ends her... How does that happen? Like, that he means, wants to, like, hit her against that the means plane? He wants to sex her up in the plane. He wants to get... He wants to throw that hot Carl dick. I don't think he knows how christen the plane works, because when you christen a plane <laughs> or a ship, you hit something on it and break it. Wait, is that what christen means? I think what he meant was... He meant sex. Now, it's important to note that Elena always ends her letters back to him with your friend, Elena. She's very, at no point, at no point, uh, in the entirety of their relationship, not once, is the feeling reciprocated right. from Elena to Carl. <laughs> She's always just like, well, that's, <coughs> that's awful nice of you, Carl, but I really... And he's like, okay, but will you marry me now? Jesus Christ, Carl, no. It's around this time... That the family, uh, Elena's family starts hating him. They really hate this guy. And it's also around this time that everybody pretty much agrees he's creepy, and Elena even starts avoiding interaction with him the best she can. He's he's relentless. But uh, he's like, uh, uh, what was that show that everybody loved on Netflix about the crazy boyfriend, you? Yeah, Donnie Deck Chair. So after everybody's uh, agreed, right, that, that, that Carl's no longer allowed at the house, he busts in unannounced on one occasion and is like you guys are smoking cigars in here and she does not need to have cigars she has got tuberculosis and they're like we told you to leave bro you're not even welcome here he has a lot of balls a lot of nerve old, old hot Carl does so uh, her family gets another doctor and Carl promptly cancels that doctor he's like no you will not it's, it's important to note Carl isn't a fucking doctor also can you do that like I got fired from a job one time for uh, hacking, we'll say, and I didn't know that. Like, if you get fired and they hire somebody else, you can just go and unhire them back. That's a thing. That's what he did. Carl can. That's because that's exactly what he did. Wow, that guy's bananas. He fired the guy that replaced him. So after he's creeped the family out, he's creeped uh, Elaine out. He figures, well, now's now's the time. So he uh, he he asked her to marry him. Her response this time, and this is quote, she says, uh, But we can't marry, dear. I am not divorced yet, and even if I were divorced, you can't marry a, 
A, a sickly girl such as me? First, let me get well. She knows she's going to die. <laughs> she's really hoping for death. And I think she was so sweet that she didn't want to tell him that he was a psychopath. Carl sees her condition dwindling uh, relatively quickly. And he tries to install some kind of like expensive high-voltage transformer for radiation treatments. And Elena's parents tell him, that's a negative Ghost Rider. Okay. No, we're, we're not going to do that. So 1931 rolls around. She's getting worse and worse. Carl's still... Writing creepy letters. She's not answering back. On February 3rd, 1931, Elena's family moves to another location secretly in order to escape Carl. <laughs> you ever had this happen, Oh, uh, I've had a you couple. You ever had a girl play hard to get like this? I've had a couple crazy guys with uh, large wheeled airplanes try to stalk me before I'll admit. <laughs> They're a dime a dozen. They are. They, they move secretly. They, they try to, to get away from him. And Carl starts harassing everyone in the neighborhood. Just, where is she? You will tell me where she is. <laughs> wow. Where is she? And he and for for weeks he he combs the streets at nighttime, looking in windows, trying to find this family, this poor family that just wants him to leave them alone so their daughter can die. Just let her die, please God. So he's looking. <laughs> He's looking through windows. Finally, an old Spanish woman tells him their location. And I don't know why. I don't know why the Spanish part is necessary, but that's just what I came across in my research. It was an old Spanish lady. Or old, for that matter. Like She could have been a new Spanish woman, for all we know. So Carl, she, she, she points him in the location. Carl just busts into the house like he owns the place. He doesn't knock. He just busts in. He looks Elena's mom in the eyes and says, Good evening, mother. I am so happy I found my Elena again. Tell me what the doctor is attending to her now. She's like, I am her doctor now. And then he looks her in the eyes and she says, Oh, you are some doctor, mother. I am sure you are a good nurse, but not a doctor. I have come to stay. From now on, you might as well consider me in charge. For good. Uh, by the way, that what I just said, that, that was a quote, word-for-word word quote. That's amazing. So they just kind of like, like you would. They just accept it. Naturally. You know, as, <laughs> as you would. As you would. So Elena's in really bad shape. And Carl's back on his bullshit. And uh, this time he didn't ask. He installs the transformer that they had previously turned down at their old house. He just doesn't ask. He just installs it. Nobody stopped him. He starts using homemade sprays on her throat, uh, his secret recipes that he won't reveal the uh, he won't reveal the ingredients of. But at one point, he said that one of them had crushed up twenty four karat gold. Now I'm not a doctor, but that doesn't work. Bought her a big new bed with silk sheets and cushions, as well as a dresser, and and then, as you can imagine, Carl asked her to marry him again. <laughs> Naturally, she says this time. Oh, Carl, I wish I could, but I think I'm going to die. That's uh, the early 1900s version of I've got a headache. So uh, he starts he, he, he starts doing electrical treatment on her and just shocking the bejesus out of her and hitting her with high doses of radiation. Jeez. Does she know it? Every time he yeah. does this, it's like a hand buzzer. He's like... Just gotcha. She's eating <laughs> yeah. breakfast, and like all of a sudden, the butter on the table just melts, and she's like, "I feel hot." <laughs> He's putting like bamboo between her teeth and just a- electrocuting the shit out of her. <laughs> <laughs> Which has proven to treat nothing. So while he's he's uh, overwhelming her frail little figure with with electricity and radiation, 
Uh, he's also buying our beautiful silk dresses. He bought six, six actually in total, with some silk stockings, uh, probably to make up for all the medieval torture he's inflicting on her. Finally, the family tries to stop him again. They're like, "Listen, uh, our electric bill is uh, through the roof. Elena's just frothing at the mouth and shitting herself all the time now, and it just." <laughs> At least she was talking before. So finally, he stops treating her, but he stayed. So he's like, okay, okay, I will no longer. I will not. I'll stop all the radiation electric, but I will stay here. They wanted him gone, but they just couldn't get rid of him. So what he does is he moves his big-ass organ into her house, and he just starts playing music all the time on this organ. Just... <laughs> this guy's a real treat. <laughs> What an idiot. <laughs> really? Wow. Now, I know you're probably thinking, so Elena survived, right? Right. Yeah, I've got to guess. I got bad news. She died. She she doesn't pull through. I did not see that coming. Despite uh, Tanzler's best efforts, she, she does end up succumbing to tuberculosis at her parents' home in Key West on Sunday, October 25th, 1931. I thought for sure that all the golden bananas and... Organ music was going to fix things. Shoot. Yeah, they say it was only shocking to Carl. That's the only person that was surprised by this. And Elena was elated. So Carl pays for the funeral, made sure she had a swagged out coffin. They bury her in a normal grave with a normal tombstone. And immediately Carl becomes concerned that it's too shallow and, and the water table is high, I guess, in the Key West. And he's really concerned about decomposition. He just kind of butts back into the home. Now, even though their daughter's dead now, they're still not rid of Carl because he wants to sleep in her bed. He wants her scent and everything. What? So he just stays. Oh, I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling to visualize. Like, you know, unless he's like completely like just a lovable idiot, I can't imagine how horrible their life is. Oh, my goodness. I heard a lot of people describe Carl. That's not one of the things that they... He's just like... <laughs> and you also have to keep in mind that, you know, he's rich. He's loaded, and these are poor people. Oh, okay. So maybe he foots the bill for some stuff, like satellite TV or, you know, something. So Carl decides, no, this grave isn't going to work. She's going to rot. Uh, I want to build her a tomb. So he pays for pays for a tomb. And uh, there's pictures of it. You can actually look that up right now if you want to. Um, Elena Hoyos' mausoleum. Uh, but in the meantime, Elena has to be disinterred. Now, at this point, she's probably been dead six months, six, seven months. So she's she's pretty ripe, right? Ugh. Yeah. She's pretty, she's, she's real spicy. I was going to say, that's uh, the juicy phase. She's been marinating for a while. This is probably like a human-sized slug. So in order to complete this tomb that he wants to, that he wants to build for her, in order to finish this mausoleum, the body has to be removed. It has to be disinterred. You find out Carl has some choice words pertaining to the color of the skin of the people that dug Elena's grave and buried her because apparently whenever they were stomping it down, they busted the, the front of the casket and broken wood came down on her face and ended up deforming her nose. Oh, stupid white guys. Yeah, well, they weren't white, but... Oh, okay. What's the opposite of white? Stupid tan guys. Um... Uh, yeah, very tan. Florida. It's Key West. Yeah. <laughs> so he takes the corpse. He takes Elena's corpse back to the funeral home where he can get it up on a on an autopsy table and clean it up. He spends hours removing the cloth off of her face. 
And he works all night by by soaking it and then slowly removing it. So the cough the, the cloth from the top of the casket is has stuck to her face over the months while she's rotted. He spends all this time remo- removing the mold and the fungus and the rot off the body and then he sprays her with disinfectants and perfumes. Works all night and then he spends the next 3 days and nights soaking her in in some kind of incubator thing that he made. With all his BS concoctions and formulas? Probably a mixture of um, bananas and... Mountain Dew. It's supposed to to, to bring the cells back to life. Uh, but he does this for three days. He, he spends time cleaning and trying to make, make sure she doesn't smell as bad as she absolutely does. And then puts her back in the, in the new coffin. He gets her a new fancy new coffin. And then this gets dropped inside a large outer metal coffin. And then that's put in the finished tomb. Now, Carl at this point starts visiting her every single night for the next year. He goes inside and he sings to her. After a few months, she begins speaking to him. Oh, naturally, of course. And and kids would harass him because they just see this crazy old man going to, to this mausoleum every night. He starts bringing her gifts, handkerchiefs, makeup, shawls. She never appreciated it. To him, she eventually brings up the idea that he needs to he needs to bust her out. Elena has an, has this very elaborate plan. She's going to throw this huge this massive blanket over the fence that that is beside the mausoleum to protect any houses from being able to see what he's doing. Elena has this plan. That's Elena's plan. Elena has this is all uh-huh. Elena's plan. Yeah, she's very talkative. Yeah, more talkative now than she actually has been at any point. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> You know, it would stand to reason that the one person she wants to talk to in death would be Carl. Carl. Right. Yeah. She she very much cared for him. Yes. <laughs> so she shows him where to where to place the blanket. She says, Hey, throw it right there. No one will be able to see us. There's this route that goes through the graveyard, nobody'll be able to see and see that house right there, Carl? And he's like, Yes, I very much see it. <laughs> She's like, Rent that house because the window now, the window of this house was right even with the top of the fence. So he could slide the coffin in there. Uh-huh. Bada bing, bada boom. He's got her. Yeah. So he rents this house. Carl rents this house. He uh, he buys a wagon. Now, I don't. do you ever listen to podcasts? Uh, no, I hate those things. They're uh, just a waste of time. A lot of people have done podcasts on this. Some people do. I personally think it's distasteful. But a lot of people have done podcast episodes on this case. On Carl Tanzler? On Carl Tanzler, yeah. That seems disrespectful. It's it's revolting, Uh. honestly. But they always say that he rented a toy, that he bought a toy wagon, like a radio flyer. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. This was more like a a workhorse wagon. This was like for for construction. It was more heavy duty than a radio flyer wagon. Okay. And heavy duty axles. But it probably looked a little bit like a like a radio flyer wagon. Okay. Imagine a radio flyer wagon if it was built by the United States military. Okay. So pretty much the same, just costs millions more. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Exactly. Gotcha. So after eight me eighteen months of her being dead and in the ground, Carl was going to take his lady back. He's going to have her back, and actually. Actually, I think this would be a good time to read uh, read this all read this process, and and Carl's words, if that's okay with you. Oh yeah, cool. Are you gonna do like a cool voice or again? You think or something cool? I can do a thing if you want me to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Give it a shot. You want some? All right. 
fun music and stuff or no? Yeah, do all your do all your stuff okay. for whatever reason. Yeah, just do your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's just do it in, in Carl's words. Cool. Uh, whoa. At last the new moon had come. The night was pitch dark and promises to the dead are sacred and must be kept. It was Saturday and most people were walking around town, busily engaged shopping and going to shows at 8 o'clock. I waited till 8.30 and then went to my little workshop, opening the window wide into the cemetery. I suspended the little wagon out over the fence from the window. Also, two rubber cushions and a couple of short towing ropes. I then darkened the room, leaving open and locking the door behind me. I went out into the cemetery through that little street gate. I walked through the proper lanes between the graves until again I reached my window. I took the wagon down from the fence, along with the other things hanging there, put everything into the wagon, and began pulling it along easily in the grass. But when it developed a very annoying way of rattling, I picked it up with its contents and carried it in my arms all the rest of the way to the tomb. The only illumination came from across the street. I unlocked the door of the tomb, and leaving the door wide open, I went down inside and spoke a few words into the coffin valve. Darling, I have come to fulfill my promise to you. Sleep now, darling, gently for a while until you are with me. God bless you. Then I screwed the valve shut tightly and took the inner metal coffin out gently, resting it obliquely on top of the larger outer coffin just for a few minutes. In the meantime, I took the dark blanket outside and hung it over the iron rail near the grave, exactly as she had advised. It was wise and excellent, as I can now see, as it put the entire lower half of the entrance of the tomb into a protective black shadow. On the threshold of the door, I laid the rubber cushions so as to cover the uppermost step of the staircase inside. Everything was ready. Before going down, I took a last look around. I did not want witnesses. Satisfied that there was nobody prowling around, I went down the stairs. Inside, all of a sudden, the black crucifix above the head of her coffin shone into my eyes with a soft light which I had never seemed to have noticed before. I stepped toward it, made the sign of the cross, lifted it from the hook, kissed it, praying for my bride and for the protection of both of us. I promised to guard her and her sleeping soul and bring her back to safety with me. Now I went to work, laying the crucifix on her coffin and, with new strength, lifted it up high. I placed the foot end into the door entrance. The head end I was obliged to hold and push it slowly, little by little, further through the door opening until the entire length rested securely in the doorway. I now went up the stairs and pulled the coffin outside, behind the shielding blanket into the soft grass. There, however, it could not stay for long, so I pulled it further around the corner of the tomb where it would be safer and out of sight. I slid the blanket from the railing and covered the bright, 
silvery coffin with it. Nobody could possibly see anything now because everything was black. I picked up the rubber cushions, closed and locked the tomb door. My darling was now outside, ready and waiting the journey. Everything had gone well so far. With perfect ease, I lifted the casket up on my little toy wagon, one foot high, with the rubber cushions, one on each end, the blanket and crucifix covering the hole and partly trailing on the grass. With my ropes, I tied the casket and wagon all around. With a short line attached to the beam, I pulled the precious load from behind the tomb into the open section of the lawn in a straight line toward the dark portion of the main cemetery. Luckily, the wagon ran smooth and silent now under its load. It really was a wonderfully lovely journey through this black night, along between the rows of graves, with my sweetest bride in her little metal chamber. Oh, it was immensely joyful and sweet, never to be forgotten. Serenely and calm, I passed along, holding onto the reins of my hidden treasure, passing noiselessly along by the two guardians of the Catholic ground. A wonderfully elated feeling took complete possession of my entire being, as though a second spirit had entered my soul. It seemed like a bodyguard of veiled angels had formed on both sides and were coming along with us, and a great inspiration filled me then. It made me feel like a victor, holding the triumphal entry into a world forgotten and buried. I felt secure, protected, and invulnerable. No matter what was coming against us now, nothing could harm either of us anymore. There was no place for the living here on this blackest of all nights. All of the cemetery was alive with souls which came out of the graves from all sides. It was indeed like a festival among the departed as they moved up on all sides. It was like a great divine wedding march for me taking place. It could not be a funeral march for all seemed happy and joyful and interested in silent admiration watching us as the white forms of angels filed past with Elena and me in their midst. They were everywhere, none blocking our way, but all of them melting out of our way. It seemed as if they had never had such a celebration in the cemetery before. It was as if all were delighted and desirous to help us. The little cart, for all of its weight, seemed almost to run by itself. It responded to the slightest touch of my hand, which gave me the impression of being aided on by friendly hands, reaching out of the ground. At last we arrived and had to halt. The cart could go no further. Here on this spot, the whole beautiful vision disappeared. The coffin had to be lifted off the wagon. I had to carry it in my arms to the fence and put it down the grass on the other side. This brought me to within a few feet of my open window. The coffin was now under the window, resting in the grass. I also rested for a few minutes to gather my last great effort. Meanwhile, I removed the cart and things to safety. Nothing was to be left around to tell the tale. I 
drew my dark blanket across the windowsill with one end hanging out over the top of the wooden fence to muffle any noise. Everything was ready now for the final lift, namely the raising of the head end, which was the heaviest, slowly up now until it stood at the height of the window. This succeeded well. It stood Alina's body inside almost to an upright position, but this could not be avoided for just a few seconds. Then I lifted the coffin midway high above my shoulders and head, high enough so that I would clear the fence and blanket and pushed it toward the open window. My back was toward the fence. Suddenly, the ground beneath my feet gave way. I lost my balance. It was as if all my strength had left me then. The whole load came down on my head. I crumbled under it and fell with the coffin lying on top of me, but my hands, still clamp-like, held on to my precious load. This meant a tragedy if my strength would not return to me. The falling casket had squashed my new black felt hat on my head, pinning me down. Quickly realizing the danger that threatened and breathing heavily, I summoned all of my remaining strength. It must have been more. It must have been supernatural strength which flowed through me. My own had all been exhausted, you see. Again, I tried. I lifted the casket slowly high above my head, rising up and... With my back pressed hard against the fence, I pushed the heavy end of the casket inside the window. There it now rested safely, while the foot end still pointed out into the cemetery. For a while, I rested, unable to move a limb, but thanking all of the good souls and angels from the bottom of my heart. I did not realize it yet, but my head and hair was dripping and saturated with sweat and blood. Also, my hands, sleeves, shirt, coat, and trousers were likewise wet and sticky. It soon began to smell, however strong and obnoxious. This woke me up and warned me that there was something wrong. I soon discovered that the bottom valve of the coffin above me, underneath the foot end, had fallen out, I suppose, from contact with the top edge of the fence. I still felt something dripping on my hand and shirt, running down my neck and over the woolen blanket hanging over the fence against which I was leaning. As the powerful odor was quickly spreading, the dogs in the neighborhood began barking. I raised myself up to go inside the house and then pull in the casket, locking the door and lifting the coffin and blanket carefully on the floor. I tilted it in such a way as to prevent any more liquid from flowing out. I then plugged the hole up tightly with cotton. Now I closed the window and made a light. My blanket was such an awful, smelly mess that I had to wrap it many times securely into a parcel. My clothing and I myself were in the same state. There was no way for me but to take all my things off and wash them and myself with alcohol, since there was no water in the house. Still smelling strong, but more like liquor now, I closed up the house and went home by a long roundabout way so as to give the wind and air a chance to take away the odor and to dry my clothes. The odor, however, did not leave me. No bath, even, would remove it from my body. I left the coffin at rest in the little house over Sunday. 
But I knew I had her. Did I not? I had her. As a result of my undying love. For now and forevermore. Whoa. Okay. I got lightheaded there. Wow. That was again. I did it again. I pulled it off again. That's amazing. Every time. Uh, but it was like you were walking through the graveyard there with him, right? Yeah. I couldn't explain that to someone else. I couldn't tell them what that was all about. So Carl gets Carl gets Elena to the house, his, his rented house. Actually, he keeps her there for, for two days. And then he, he loads her up in the coffin and puts her in the back of a sedan and takes Elena to the plane behind the hospital morgue, his, his dream plane. Yeah. And that happens on April 14th, 1933. Now, Carl has has went ahead and stocked the plane with medical supplies and cleaning solutions and dresses and perfumes and jewelry and everything that, that dead girls love, all the, all the stuff that just really drives them nuts. He, uh, he spends time removing the 100 screws that, opens, that, that holds the casket closed and lifts it to discover that Lorena is in shit shape. She has, she has really let herself go. Oh, my gosh. I didn't expect that at all. I figured she might have improved. So he spends all night cleaning her body and, and removing the clothing from it. It takes all night because the skin is so delicate, it's rotting. And if he pulls on the clothing too fast, it pulls the skin off with it. So he lets them soak in, in warm water and a solution, and and he, he spends all night doing that. And after the body was clean, he, he as clean as a, a corpse that's been dead for 18 months as can be, he, he cleans the inside of the coffin. He puts new cushions and linens inside the coffin. And then he puts beautiful, beautiful 18-month-dead Elena in, in, her, in a new bridal gown, lays her into her coffin, and lays down beside her and makes out with her a little bit, even though her eyes were gone. And that's just, that's just beautiful. That's gross. That's, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's not, that's gross is what that is. At one point to test her lungs, which keep in mind we're full of tuberculosis. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> he puts, he puts a finger over her badly disfigured nose. And he blows air into her dead lungs that have been dead for 18 months and watches her chest rise. And then her eyes came back out probably too. <laughs> no, no worse. Her, her, her dead chest breath goes back into his mouth and into his lungs and he, he accepts that into his body. Gross, what an idiot. That is not, that's not sanitary. That's not even really sanitary with a living person. How the hell this guy did not die of something else is beyond me. Yeah. Just. Wow. Somehow he doesn't get tuberculosis. So he watches the chest rise. He's like, oh, the tuberculosis is gone. I have cured her. If only she was here to see it. So he lays there with the corpse all night. All night. And, you know, he's just whispering sweet nothing into her maggot-infested ears. Just whispering sweet nothings. And uh, he gets up the next morning, closes the lid, takes some bacteria samples to look at under the microscope at the hospital, and, and goes to work. Now, at the hospital... Yeah, that's usually what I do after a you know, first date. Yeah, he, well, he wants to make sure that she's not deadly. Like, this, this fungus that's all over her isn't, like, deadly. Yeah. He discovers that uh, it's two types of fungus. The first one is called Infusoria, which is... Uh, I had to look it up, but it's it's basically what is. Have you ever seen a, a stagnant cow pond? 
Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. know how you know that green algae that forms on top of a, a stagnant cow pond. Mm-hmm. So that's the first bacteria that was on her body, her very moist, rotting body. It was the same kind of stuff that's on a, on top of stagnant water. Gross. The other is called cilia, uh, and I had to look that up. And it's it's the the mucus out of your nose, saliva, and spit. So as a body. I don't know how much you know about decomposition, but as a body swells, it starts ejecting uh, fluids from the nose and the and the lungs and everything. So it was just probably just spit up, post-death spit up. You know, and in his state, he, he could have confused that with tears of joy. So, yes. Yeah. Drooling uh, over him. Yeah. She's just laying there thinking about that time she'll get that hot Carl back. Yep. He determines that these, these two bacteria are completely safe. So the next couple days are spent cleaning maggots from her ears and her stomach because her stomach was full of maggots and her ears were full of maggots. Oh. And uh, her fingers, I see you making faces over there, Op. You all right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just um, trying to, I, I, I can't imagine why we, she would let herself go like this. She's a real bitch. Serious. I hate it when a man is putting everything into a relationship. Ah, just the the. She's nerve. wearing a smelly dress. Smelly dress. She's she. He's giving her gold lungs and bananas. Her eyes are sink. She's letting her eyes sink back in her brain. Ah, just look him in the face, please. It's it's really offensive. It's offensive. It is. It's it's offensive. So he spends the next couple days cleaning maggots from her ears and her stomach, and her fingers and toes were damaged from dying. That little, that little rough foray that that she had inside the coffin, trying to get from the mausoleum into the house. Right. Yeah. Naturally, she didn't walk. We know that. <laughs> so he's he's soaking her, and her nose starts to regain shape. He he douses her in perfumes and colognes and wines. He stuffs her chest and stomach cavity full of rags. I got a question. I've got an answer. Like, did anyone come by or visit him during this time? Like, any, you know, like... He doesn't have any friends. Okay. Carl doesn't have any friends. Yeah. Everybody's just creeped out by him. Apparently. Because, yeah, it's like, walk in and you're like, hey, hey, Carl. <laughs> Is that Dracar Noir I smell? Well, he, he does have a friend later. He makes a friend named Frank. He sounds fake. So he stuffs her chest and her stomach cavity full of old rags to kind of give her, her her Marilyn Monroe figure back. Over the next couple months, Carl decides that what this plane that he's been building can do. After he gets her to a certain point, it can take her into the stratosphere where she can get heavy doses of radiation and she can wake up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now... This is the plane without wings? That's what he's going to fly? Well, here, there's, e- there's, even, there's even more flaws in the logic than that, Op. As we've already established, her stomach and chest cavity is full of rags, and she has glass eyes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to know what the first thing you're going to say if you wake up with that? You Yeah. Oh, fuck! What is in my stomach? I think if you woke up in that state, you'd probably say... And then Carl would be like, hold on, let me take the rags out of your face. Kill me, please. The pain. The pain. What is in my stomach? Where are my eyes? Probably not the way you want to, like, already, she doesn't want to wake up from this. No. I don't want to wake up from this. No. So he makes casts of her face. He, he And this is where he discovers his little skin trick, how he's going to preserve her skin. 
he he oils up some silk and he drapes it over her face and this is to keep the plaster from sticking because he wants to make casts of her face when he pours the plaster on and he removes it he, he realizes that the wax and the bomb soaked silk has fused to her face and it kind of makes like a second skin because the first skin is rotting away and he likes this because it keeps the the roaches and the maggots and the flies and, and the critters and the insects from getting to her very delicate, genuine layer of skin. You know what I just realized I'm glad didn't exist when he uh, when he was alive? What's that? Pinterest. Can you imagine the boards this guy made? DIY planes and DIY tuberculosis treatments and how to replace your skin. I would love to see that, that, that account. This guy is... Yeah. Yikes. Ironically, pinning all the same things that Sylvester Stallone is. If essential oils were human, they'd be Carl Tanzler. <laughs> he, he begins soaking her skin in his own concoctions. He, he never elaborates on what these concoctions consist of. And he begins gravity feeding her, is what he calls it. Nutrients. Um, vitamins and food and whatnot. So this stuff is just... He, he, he gets her in it. Somehow, in a standing position, and then he just pours water and stuff down her throat and lets it rot in her stomach. Like what? She's probably got biscuits and gravy. I'm picturing the the uh, plastic doll that my daughter has that I can't find anymore. And then, like, I find it in the backyard, and she's fed it, you know, fertilizer and sticks. I, I like to imagine. He's got her standing up by some via some kind of, of apparatus with her mouth just open, and he's sitting at a desk with Fritos, and he's got his feet up on a desk, and he's just throwing them and bounce and trying to land them in her mouth. <laughs> so she's got a gut full of, I don't know, Cheez Its and and scrambled eggs, scrambled eggs and bananas, and he 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 remarks that. On several occasions, she vomits. Oh, my God. So that's probably the maggots just pushing this food, this rotting food out of her gut. But uh, when you pour too much water into a glass, you don't say that the glass vomited. You just filled it too much. Yeah. the it, It's just overfilled. Yeah. And then it just kind of spills out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she gains 20 pounds because of these <laughs> these treatments. Natural. Okay, of course. So that's good. Well, it's good to see she's gaining weight. Uh, she's gaining weight. Now, we're going to fast forward a lot. Over the next two years. Two years. It's two years. Yes. Ugh. The commander of the naval hospital where Carl had his plane dies. And the new commander that replaces that commander doesn't agree with the agreement that Carl had with the old commander. He's like, uh, yeah, that big eyesore that isn't a plane, but you keep calling a plane, needs to get the hell out of our parking lot. What? <laughs> Seriously? And he's like, I don't... Carl's like, I do not see what the big deal is. Carl gets a little place on the South Beach, builds a hangar with two rooms, one for his laboratory and one for his bedroom. Important to note that when they're moving the plane thing down the street to his new location they actually pass elena's family on the side of the road and they wave at him no they're completely unaware oh. that elena's in the in the cabin vomiting fritos <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh it's funny with as much talking as she did that she wasn't like okay go this way no hang all right hang on okay just stop for a second i just want to say hey you know it's weird that she didn't you know tell him to stop <laughs> Oh, 
look, it's mom and dad. Give me a second, Carl. (laughs) So uh, while he's on this beach, a homeless French fisherman named Frank uh, befriends Carl and builds a shed up against the side of Carl's hangar. And they become friends, neighbors, roommates. But Frank is never at any point in their relationship aware of the existence of Elena. That seems totally impossible. (laughs) Well, Carl agrees that Frank didn't know. Uh, He won't let Frank into any room where Elena is. So he's very secretive about about his Elena. Uh, September 2nd, 1935, they get hit with a hurricane. Uh, Frank and Carl tried to prepare the hangar the best they could. And while Frank is laying in bed curled up in the fetal position crying because he thinks they're going to die, Carl is playing the organ. Naturally. Throughout the hurricane. Yes. Going crazy on the organ, just really ripping loose. And somehow they survived it. uh, Somehow Elena survived it, so to speak. 1936, Christmas. Carl decorates a Christmas tree for Elena. He gets her presents. Picture books, chocolates, cakes, cookies, perfume, soap, and face powder. And then for her, he plays Silent Night on the organ. They share... They they share a half uh, they share a bottle of wine, but the way that he has Elena drink her portion is Carl gets it into his mouth, and then he pushes it. He puts it in his mouth to her, like a baby bird, like the way a mother feeds a baby bird, <laughs> and he he pushes it into her lungs by his mouth. And anything that she can't hold down, he just swa- he swallows. Oh, so anything gosh. that she brings back up, he swallows. Uh, oh, I just <laughs> gagged. Oh, oh, made me gag. Oh my goodness, that was involuntary. Wow. Oh man, that's hard to hear. May twenty eighth, nineteen thirty six. There's a big, long, boring dispute that we're not going to go into over construction and yada, yada, yada. But for basically, for political reasons, Carl has to move again. And he picks a place on Flagler Avenue, and Frank comes with him. And uh, this new place is a real shithole. <laughs> Darn. You mean it wasn't uh, the palatial panacea that uh, the airplane hangar was? <laughs> that was really heaven. That was Carl's little slice of heaven That's... out there, you know. Yeah. He had his girl. He was on the beach. He had his best friend there. who was a homeless fisherman named Frank. Ca- Casa del Zombie. <laughs> That's the thing, though. If you read Carl, at that point in his life, if you read it on paper, it sounds great. It's like, oh, he's got his best... He's got the love of his life with him and his best friend and a plane and he's on the beach. But it's like, yeah, but she's dead. He's homeless and he's French. And it's They a don't plane. speak the same language. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> But it is a beach. Um, <laughs> so when they get to this new place, this is when uh, he, he covers the entire body in, in silk and wax uh, because she's just really rotting really quickly at this point. As the hair falls out of the decomposing scalp, he fashions a wig from some of Elena's hair that, that actually her mother had given him many years ago. When the body starts sinking in in places... He fills it with cotton and then overlays it with wax-soaked silk, like repairing drywall. Like the same way that you would repair, like, drywall. On. Right. Yeah, Bob Vila, if you're listening to this, is this is the right way to do it, right, Bob? Yeah, it's like this old house. This old this old corpse. Yeah, this old corpse. He, uh, he attaches the bones together with piano wire by drilling holes in each side and then just pull them together with piano wire. And while we're attaching the bones here, let's go see how Janet's doing with the stacked dado head cutter in the bathroom. Have you look here? She's over here with a circular saw. That's very nice, Janet. <laughs> and only it's Frank. 
It's Frank. It's not even <laughs> Janet. Yeah. Hey, Janet. Why you call me that? I'm Frank. So uh, at this point, he puts her into his bed because he's he's losing her fast at this point. She he's having a hard time keeping up, and uh, she's really dry at this point. She's not moist like she used to be. She's not all whoppy. Uh, and uh, so from 1936 to 1940 which is when he gets caught she spends that four years in bed with him beside him and he slept with her Um, with her dead shark eyes just staring at the ceiling the entire time (laughs) you ever looked into the eyes of a Adelina chief they're like doll's eyes we're going to need a bigger airplane hangar. So, September 28th, 1940, there are two stories for how Carl Tanzler gets caught. Uh, story one, the one that Carl says happened, uh, Elena's tomb is broken into. He, he runs into uh, Elena's sister, Nana, there. And she's like, I want to see Elena. And he's like, no, you cannot see Elena. He was the only one that had a key to the mausoleum. And after arguing, he's like, you want to see Elena? And she's like, yeah. He's like, okay, I will show you, Elena. <laughs> wow. He goes, meet me at my house. And then she comes with her husband. And he's like, come with me. Come with me. So they go back and shows her, just shows her, like, I don't know how we pant- saw this going in his head. But he's like, there she is. See, she's she is good. She is very good. <laughs> Obviously, the sister freaks out and calls the cops. Now, that's the story that... Carl says happened. Now the the story that everybody else agrees that what people say happened was Carl was caught dancing with what they thought was a mannequin in the window. The neighborhood kids are peeking his spine in on him, and they see him dancing with what they initially thought was a mannequin. Can you okay just for a second? Can you picture this? Picture this. He's got her around the waist in the, by a hand, probably broken off, you know, and it's just kind of dangling yeah. in his hand. <laughs> And he's swinging. She's vomited on his neck. And he's one, two, three, one, two, three. And every one beat, she's launching like a mixture of wine and Fritos over his shoulder. Every squeeze of her abdomen, like some, you know, lung juice f- filled with bananas and and uh, scrambled <laughs> eggs. One, two, three. One, two, three. <laughs> oh, Elena, you are so very silly. Oh, Elena, you're so aromatic. The rumors spread that Carl's got something weird going on in his house, and then everybody's like, wait a minute. He was visiting that mausoleum like every single night. He was obsessed with it, and then he just stopped visiting it randomly one day. And that's kind of weird. Yeah. So <laughs> Elena's sister puts two and two together, and she's like, I'm going to go ask, and then that's how it happened. He's like, oh, you want to see your sister? I will show you. (laughs) And he just, in both stories, Carl just shows her. So obviously he's arrested. He was psychiatrically examined and found mentally competent to stand trial on charge of wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. And uh, they decided that statute of limitations... Uh, he's free to go. Whoa! After a very short trial, after a very short trial, Carl Tanzler is is set free. This becomes a national sensation. This headline: They put her corpse on display at the Dean Lopez funeral home and charged people to come and look at oh. it. People came from all over, 
And they just, like this poor lady, hadn't been through enough. But now people are just gawking at her jacked-up corpse. As at this human Muppet. And then after they made all the money they could, um, they do an autopsy on her where, and there's pictures of her autopsy. You can find those online. Uh, there's not many. There's just a, like maybe two. But they open her up. They cut through the through the layers of wax and and everything, and they open her up, and she just looks like a hollow burrito. He had just piled on the wax and everything until he couldn't smell the rot that was going on in the end. It was like cracking open a rotten egg. Not to be confused with Tammy Faye Baker. Who is that? She's a model. Oh. <laughs> a makeup model. So guess what else they discovered during the autopsy op? Uh, what? I can't even imagine. So Carl had put a, a, a paper tube in her vagina... And had packed the uh, the end of it with cotton so that he could put his little old man, his little German wiener inside of her, and blow loads into the cotton. Now, uh, I don't know if I don't know if you've ever had a fleshlight, but they're they're relatively easy to take care of. You can just turn them inside out and clean them. I just have this picture in my head of this like terrible piñata. <laughs> Imagine you do not want the candy from that piñata. Imagine just raw dogging a piñata for 10 years. Carl had just been blowing into this paper tube packed full of cotton balls. Not long after that, 1944, Tanzer moves to Pasco County, Florida, close to Zephyr Hills, Florida and gets back with his wife. No way. She takes him back? Yeah. But before he leaves, he blows up the mausoleum like a, like Looney Tunes. Like, actually blows it up. <laughs> Did he kill Fred in the process? I think Fred just kind of was happy to be rid of, like, he's like, that guy was weird. He ate scrambled eggs for dinner. Wouldn't that be awesome if, like, the least weird thing about him is what Fred thought? Did you already hear what he had for dinner? His DIY projects were terrible. He stays with his wife. He's with his wife. She takes care of him for the rest of his life. Uh, he ends up dying. At age 75 on July 3rd, 1952. And uh, his body was discovered on the floor of his home. He had rotted for three weeks before he was found for some reason. He died beside a life-size effigy of Elena, made from the castings that he had he had taken from molds that he had made. So, Oh, his wife allowed that, huh? Yeah, she seemed like a very understanding lady. Are we sure? Sh- are we positive that his wife didn't have glass eyes and, like, rags in her head? You know, you can't find a picture. I'm not even sure she existed. I just know she has a grave. <laughs> yeah, well, that doesn't mean much when it comes to Carl. Lots of people have graves, but Carl has the bodies. That is the story of Carl Tanzler. Uh Wow. I am uh, never calling you again. Just kidding. It worked. It worked. Thank God. No, what? <laughs> just, just kidding. I I just need a minute. I need to... I'm going to get some bleach, and I'm going to clean my eyeballs out, my earballs, and how about I, uh, you know, maybe call you tomorrow? Yeah, that sounds good. We'll do tomorrow. I can cook up another story by then. Don't kill anybody. Don't sleep with any dead people while I, while uh, well till tomorrow. If I was, I wouldn't tell you about it. Yeah. All right. Hey, hugs. What? <laughs>